0: Welcome to PS Pod, a podcast for CPT pharmacometrics and systems pharmacology. In this episode, Dennis Velasco speaks with Sandra Visser and Ann Chain from Merck. They will discuss existing practice to modeling approaches.
1: Dr. Visser. Why modeling of drug-induced effects in cardiovascular function?
2: Approximately one-third of all discontinuations in drug development are caused by drug safety, with cardiovascular safety being a major cause of attrition. The main reasons for labeling restrictions and drug withdrawals, but also for the discontinuation of compounds in earlier stages of drug development, are in the area of drug induced prolongation of cardiac repolarization and proarrhythmic liabilities. It's not surprising that the assessment of cardiovascular liabilities, and especially the drug induced prolongation of the QT interval, has become a primary focus of both the pharmaceutical industry and the regulatory agencies. Dr. Ann and myself think that quantitative methods like pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic modeling and system pharmacology approaches can enable the quantitative understanding of cardiovascular safety risks of new medicines. These quantitative tools also have become increasingly beneficial in achieving this goal by allowing predictions for new circumstances, for example, during new dosing regimens or in other patient populations and they also allow to extrapolate across different systems. For example, from in vitro to in vivo, from in vivo to clinical. This prediction, Those predictions are particularly important along the value chain in the pharmaceutical industries as it helps to select and progress the best compounds on their predicted liabilities. Moreover, we also think that it's, uh, those quantitative tools are of use for regulatory submissions where they can be used to describe the cardiovascular safety risk for a particular compound.
1: Dr. Chain, what are the biomarkers for cardiovascular safety?
0: Before we talk about what biomarkers are, let's first talk about what we're trying to resolve here. There are various undesired cardiovascular effects that can be induced by drugs. These problems include palpitations, hypo and hypertension, arrhythmias, stroke, or sudden cardiac death. And they can range between relatively minor to potentially fatal events. So to assess or flag the risk of these effects, we can monitor what we call biomarkers that can provide useful information about changes within the cardiovascular system. Cardiovascular biomarkers that are commonly collected during preclinical and clinical studies are heart rate, blood pressure, and QT interval, but there are other intervals you can measure in the ECG that represent cardiac contractility. To be more specific, heart rate can be measured from pulse rate or directly from the ECG by taking the inverse of a distance between two consecutive R waves. Rapid increases in heart rate, which can be induced by drugs, can lead to ventricular tachycardia, and potentially cause sudden cardiac death. So it is an important parameter during safety assessment. Blood pressure is another important vital sign measurement taken during clinical trials. Increased blood pressure, also known as hypertension, has been associated with increased risk of stroke, ischemic heart disease, and other vascular diseases. Finally, QT interval is an index of ventricular cell action potential durations in the heart's sinus rhythm. Prolongation of QT interval represents a delay in ventricular repolarization, and it can lead to a potentially fatal arrhythmia called torsade de pointes. This is why QT prolongation has generally been accepted as a surrogate biomarker for torsoid, and it is currently mandatory to assess this liability in new drugs. Torsoid is relatively rare, but it can degenerate into ventricular fibrillation and can cause sudden cardiac death.
1: What is the current practice of QT modeling in clinical studies?
0: So what is the current practice of QT modeling in clinical studies? Well, we all know about the ICH guidance introduced in 2004 and the mandatory performance of thorough QT studies as the basis to systematically evaluate and demonstrate a compound's liability to cause QTC prolongation prior to the drug's registration. However, this does not preclude the assessment of the exposure-response relationship early on in the drug development program by using early clinical data, such as single and multiple rising dose studies. In recent years, population PKPD models have been increasingly used in the assessment of concentration effect relationship in cardiovascular safety. In this approach, QT response is related to concentration of drug by describing concentration QTC relationship. The QT interval can be affected by many factors, such as changes in heart rate, circadian rhythm, gender, or age, and can even display a delay between exposure and QT prolongation effect. Therefore, in order to accurately evaluate the effect of the drug, these factors must be taken into account. Which brings us into the advantage of using nonlinear mixed effects population models. They have the ability to estimate between-subject variability to account for demographic differences. Interestingly, the use of Bayesian hierarchical model has been rather limited in the field of PKPD modeling of QT effects. Since the introduction of Markov-Chain Monte Carlo techniques, these methods have gained popularity thanks to their many advantages. One of them is the use of uncertainty and display them in terms of probability. In the case of Qt interval, it can be an example expressed as a probability of a 10 milliseconds increase at a given drug concentration.
1: Dr. Visser, what preclinical and in-silico models can be used for predicting human QT liability?
2: Since QT prolongation is the primary concern in drug development, it is beneficial to detect it as early as possible, ideally before the compound is tested in man. If a compound is associated with QT prolongation and torsiotogenic risk, it would be advantageous to exclude that from the pipeline as early as possible to avoid further cost and avoid patient exposure. Pharmaceutical companies have employed a range of preclinical assays and tests to understand the risk for QT prolongation and to support the selection of the most appropriate candidates for testing in man. In the in vitro high-throughput screens, most companies include various ion channels, including HERC. Various mathematical models have been developed to gain understanding of the underlying processes in the ion channel kinetics and the action potential properties. These models have been adapted by the industry to simulate the drug-induced effects on action potentials from the in vitro data and thereby can be used for compound selection for further progression, uh, by the prediction of the QT prolongation and liabilities of very early and drug discovery. Also, the in silico models help to replace and reduce animal use and improve efficiency of cycle times. Using mechanistic PKPD models we can make use of the drug-specific properties like receptor binding and the system-specific properties that should be constant between different drugs for each species. And thereby, we can extrapolate from in vitro to man. Even though these mechanistic models do not include um, the complexity of the actual physiology and pharmacology, Still, they incorporate receptor theory concepts and then allow predicting from in vitro to MAN based on the uh, data from in vitro assays. This was demonstrated by Juncker et al. to describe the relationship between HERC inhibition in vitro and the QT prolongation in MAN. And according to that analysis, 10% inhibition in vitro of HERC corresponded to 20 milliseconds change in the QT interval. Uh, Once moving into in vivo testing, uh, an accurate pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic description of drug-induced QT effects in preclinical species are important for translational research. It forms a basis for the extrapolation of preclinical data uh, uh, into man, and thereby predicting the clinical effects at the intended drug exposures. Also, we need to understand and quantify the translational link between these two species. The the rationale behind the translational analysis is to describe and quantify the PKPD relationship in preclinical animals and in man, and then compare the drug-specific parameters between those two species. A number of investigations have focused on the translation between dogs and humans. And most recently, Gata published a meta-analysis of dog PKPD data and its translation to man. Consistent exposure-response relationships were found from a variety of preclinical dog studies with highly variable designs through this systematic analysis. The good preclinical-clinical correlations suggested also that such an analysis could be more routinely applied to increase the informative and predictive value of the results obtained from animal experiments.
1: Dr. Chain, how can systems pharmacology assist here?
0: Systems pharmacology or middle approaches attempts to combine the best properties of the purely descriptive top-down and reductionist bottom-up approaches. For example. Um, comprehensive in vivo systems pharmacology models do exist for a cardiac system, particularly for hemodynamics, but these have so far only been implemented in single species, so making translational predictions from preclinical species to human rather difficult. We don't really have feedback from the clinic either. To understand how successful human predictions have been, and there are no reports of cross-species comparisons with these models. Alternatively, simplified model structures can be applied that capture the relevant process governing information flow without over-parameterization. Models of cardiovascular function with similar structure but with species-specific parameters could allow for further refinement of the predictive power of these approaches. In these methods, Substituting human physiological parameters into the preclinical model is a key part of the translation. In contrast to the purely phenomenological approaches, a key component of both the bottom-up and middle approaches is the distinction between drug-specific and physiological-relevant system-specific parameters. While drug-specific pharmacodynamic parameters describe the interaction of the drug in terms of target affinity and target activation, system-specific parameters describe the process of the biological system. Physiologically-based PK models are an example that have been used in this sense and have been successfully used to make human PK predictions and estimate first in human dose. There is great opportunity to expand on existing knowledge to bring translational understanding to the forefront of preclinical safety pharmacology assessment through a systems pharmacology approach. But there could be a balance between complexity and simplicity. While a systems approach is preferable for translational purposes, it requires understanding of derivation of drug effect mechanism. Um, it must be acknowledged that when the drug effect mechanism is understood and well characterized, complex translational models can be adopted to give a robust translational prediction with certain underlying assumptions. However, when a mechanism is less understood or is a combination of effect mechanisms, it will be more challenging to make translational predictions and simpler approaches should be adopted that rely On fewer assumptions.
1: How could one predict CV risk in patient population and keep patients in mind?
0: Well, despite numerous efforts aimed at improving signal detection of cardiovascular events for new medicines, none of them really focus on what actually happens after the drug has been approved and released into a general population. Although many post-marketing surveillance trials and spontaneous adverse events reporting have been used to monitor the incidence of supraventricular arrhythmias, torsade and other safety events, there is still an advantage to knowing what can be expected so that mitigation plans can be made in advance. Given the population um, enrolled in clinical trials, the background noise in intra-individual variability in QTC interval, and the relatively low frequency of clinically significant drug-induced effects like torsad, clinical trials may or may not accurately detect the frequency and intensity of QDC prolongation. In fact, it is known that the proarrhythmic threshold can vary across compounds with frequency um, of such event ranging from approximately 1 in 100 to 1 in 50,000. The concept of not in simulations is introduced as a tool for risk management, integrating pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic relationships as the basis for discriminating drug-specific properties from other relevant factors in non-controlled settings. The idea is that we can include comorbidities and concomitant medications of patients' information into our analysis, and what the effects of these factors can contribute to the baseline QT before the new therapy is added on. And once we know the totality of these effects, we can start to plan for mitigation and avoid unnecessary incidents.
1: Finally, Dr. Visser, can you tell us more about what are the next steps beyond QTC in prediction CV safety?
2: Now we have become quite comfortable with predicting QTC liability. It becomes even more important to also be able to predict cardiovascular parameters beyond QTC, for example such as drug-induced genes in heart rate and blood pressure. Most of the existing models for heart rate and blood pressure have been developed to study desired drug effects, for example for the treatment of hypertension. However, from a cardiovascular safety perspective, a lot less work has been done for blood pressure or heart rate compared to the QTC interval assessment. And also, as a consequence, we have a limited knowledge on the mechanism that underlie changes in these parameters, and therefore, limited tools to assess the liability in man It was suggested recently that DOG is a poor preclinical model for predicting changes in heart rate and blood pressure in men, even though it has been very valuable in predicting QT. Going forward, it will therefore be important that modeling with regards to cardiovascular safety focuses on endpoints such as contractility and structural damage that are less readily available and measurable in a longitudinal manner in short-term experiment compared to changes in heart rate and blood pressure, but also that we will try to find keys for interspecies translation. It needs to be acknowledged that cardiovascular structural damage downstream of the ECG and the hemodynamic changes are relatively difficult to measure and predict. Uh, They also tend to be chronic in nature and arise from a greater number of potential mechanisms. The relative rarity of cardiovascular damage in the clinic normally means that a strong safety signal will only emerge in large trials or investigation undertaken through post-marketing surveillance. So that means that it can be quite costly The challenge is, therefore, that we quantify and predict the risk of long-term cardiovascular safety issues from more frequently observed cardiovascular parameters in earlier stages of drug development or even from in in vivo assays. Uh, We think that systems pharmacology model development, step-by-step, potentially in a pre-competitive way, may be able to help to improve to predict the chronic cardiovascular effects in man. This will be aided by further quantifying preclinical pathology readouts, novel biomarkers in correlations to longitudinal observations in heart rate and blood pressure, and increase on mechanistic understanding and the use of outcome data.
1: And that was Doctors Visser and Chain. And you can find their article at onlinelibrary.wiley.com.
0: Thank you for listening. PS Pod is a co-production of the American Society for Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics and Wiley. It was recorded and hosted by Dennis Velasco and directed, edited, and coordinated by Joe Triano. All opinions of this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors.